I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I bid everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith which God has assigned him. For as in one body we have many members, and all members do not have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who contributes in liberality, he who gives aid with zeal, he who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast as to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. This is the word of God. This afternoon, if you and I were going to go home and get in a car and go somewhere we've never been before, probably the first thing we'd do when we got in the car was we'd get out our phone. Or you'd get out a, a smart tablet and you'd be able to pull up an app like Google Maps, MapQuest, and you'd plug in your destination and you'd hit go and soon there'd be a voice telling you turn by turn exactly where to go and, and how to be able to get there. I mean, it truly is incredible to have this gift of GPS, global positioning satellites, telling us where to go and how to get there so that we are never lost. Now, that's really the good news and the gift. You know, the bad news is we are raising a whole generation who don't understand the joy of maps. I remember when we would go somewhere, you had to open up the glove box and get out your map. Now, the reason we called it a glove box was because more than 100 years ago, when cars first came out, they didn't have a roof or sides. They were all open. And so to ride in the car, you had goggles and have a hat and you had gloves. And when you got to where you were going, you need somewhere to stick them. And so they put a box there in the front of the car for your gloves and goggles and hat. It's a glove box. Actually, a better name for the last 100 years should have been, it's a map box. Today, I don't know what it's for. We don't need maps. We've got GPS. I mean, you stop and think about what that was like. You know, I, I usually was the driver. I would have a navigator. We'd open up that glove box and pull out a map and you unfold it. It's this accordion style thing. You pull it open and it never went back together like it's supposed to. 
You get at your map and the first thing you had to do was find where am I on this map? And then you had to find where are we trying to go? And once you got that, then it was like, all right, well, let's go up here, two streets, take a right, and maybe at the light we're going to take a left. But it isn't always clear. It was difficult, and we would be driving. And as we're driving along, surely I would take a wrong turn somewhere, or we would guess incorrectly, and soon we would feel lost. And that always led to an interesting conversation. And so after we kind of figured that out and we kept on driving for a while and the navigator would usually say, can't we pull into a filling station and ask directions? Now, no self-respecting man would ever pull into a filling station to ask directions. And so you continue on lost and that would lead to another interesting conversation. You know, you think about how GPS changed our society and how much fewer questions get asked in a, in a 7-Eleven for directions. We don't have to do that anymore. We've got GPS. It's amazing. GPS was first developed in the 1970s and 80s. It was fully operational by the 1990s. It was developed by our Department of Defense. The whole purpose of it was to give a system to be able to guide our missiles to exactly where they needed to go. The government was afraid that if you and I had access to this, we might do bad things with it. And so they degraded the signal for several decades. People started creating GPS boxes in the 1980s and in the 1990s that could help us get some idea of GPS but the signal was significantly degraded. It was the kind of thing that I could be here at the downtown campus and pull up my GPS and say, so where am I? And it might place me at the arena watching the Thunder basketball game. Close, but still not real accurate. All that changed in 2000. In the year 2000, Bill Clinton changed the history of the world. He signed legislation that told the Department of Defense they could no longer degrade the signal. That changed the world. Suddenly, GPS was accurate everywhere. And now you really could have moving maps telling you where to go, how to turn and what to do. You could have it in your car. You could have it in your boat. You could have it in your plane. You could have it in your backpack. Go hiking. You had it wherever you wanted to be. And it was so much more accurate. And then finally, it was in 2008. One year after the smartphones came out in 2007, it was 2008, only 10 years ago, that we finally were able to have an app on our phones that now could be MapQuest, Google Map, hit this button, boom, and you'd have all the directions you needed 10 years ago. Just six years ago, in 2012, Apple came out with Apple Maps. And there were so many more features telling you this was going to be where the traffic slows down. I'd take this direction. How long will it take you to get there? In the last five to ten years, GPS has changed so dramatically. In 2018, they are upgrading it again. 
And now you and I should use GPS to be able to get our location that is accurate within one foot. It's amazing. Then as amazing as it is and as accurate, there are still some of those struggles with GPS. The wonderful lady who's always telling me what to do, she doesn't always get the names right. Pronunciation isn't always correct. You know, our son Paul and his wife Krista and our grandkids, for a while they lived in Temple, Texas. Paul was doing his residency there at Scott and White Hospital. And I remember we started flying down to Austin so we could drive out to Temple to be with them. And when we first started going, we really didn't know the way. So we'd fly into Austin, rent a car, and then we'd plug it in on our phones and hit the button to go and we'd start driving. I remember the first time we're heading along and the lady comes on and she says, continue north on I-35 on your way to Waco. I thought, what? So I listened closely again, and sure enough, there came a part in the road and says, stay to the left on the way to Waco. I went, Waco, got it. I know where I'm supposed to be going. In spite of the fact they don't get all the names right, they are good. This lady is amazing. She'll be telling me exactly where I need to go, get in the right-hand lane, get off at this exit, take a right at the light. 500 feet, you're going to need to. But what I really love about this lady in GPS is that whenever I I make a wrong turn, that doesn't happen often. (laughs) But whenever I make a wrong turn, what it suddenly says is recalculating. Recalculating. And the amazing thing is the lady will simply say, At the next turn, make a U-turn. Go back down it. She starts telling you what to do. Very calm, very kind. Never does she say, what are you doing, dummy? (laughs) I told you to get off back at the last exit. Where do you think you're going? You're going the wrong way. Never do I get someone telling me all about how bad it is and what I've done wrong. It's always recalculating. And in a kind voice telling me where to go so that I don't get lost. And as I was thinking about GPS, it occurred to me, that's exactly how God leads us in life. I believe that when you and I make a wrong turn, when we do things to get us lost, God is always recalculating, finding a new way to help us to get to where we need to go. And not with anger and judgment. Jesus proved that. For after he had been betrayed by his own disciples and denied, after he had been lied about by the Sanhedrin, after he had been tried by the Romans and beaten and put on a cross, it was in that moment he would look at them and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Recalculating. How do we help you find your way to life through the gift of God's grace? I really do believe that God has GPS. It's God's positioning system. How does God put us in position to hear a vision for our life, to hear a dream for our life, 
where God is calling us to go. This morning, I want to conclude this sermon series, Dreams and Visions. We have said that we believe that God pours out His Holy Spirit upon us. It is the time of Pentecost. God pours out His Spirit upon us to help us have a vision of who we could be, a dream of what we could do and where we could go. And we've been trying to look at how do we follow that dream? How do we get that vision? Well, this morning I want to conclude this series by looking at God's positioning system. To look at His GPS. And I believe we get a good idea of how it works through our scripture lesson this morning, which comes from Paul's letter to the Romans. It is the longest and most significant of all of Paul's letters. We believe it was written probably around 54 54 to 58. Paul's at the height of his ministry. He has been on these missionary journeys, starting all these churches throughout Greece and Asia Minor at these Gentile places. He has collected an offering and he wants to take it to Jerusalem, to give it to the little church in Jerusalem. It's struggling. Because the church in Jerusalem still believes you have to be Jewish first in order to be Christian. The Gentile churches said... No, you can just be a Christian and still be a Gentile. They had different theologies about things, but Paul was trying to say we could still be one church. We'll take this offering from the people who think like this and we're going to give it to the people who think like this so we can say we're all one people trying to share God's love in the world. Well, we believe he's in Corinth. We feel fairly certain about that. He's in Corinth when he writes this letter to the Romans telling them that he's going to go to Jerusalem with this offering and then he's going to go to Spain to proclaim the gospel and he's going to come by Rome on his way and he hopes to see them. That's the context of the letter. The first 11 chapters was beautiful theology, wonderful statements. Some of my favorite in Romans 8, especially where Paul would say, I know there's nothing in life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation that can separate us from the love of God as revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. No eight chapters, beautiful theology. But when he gets to the twelfth chapter, Paul turns and he gets real practical. Because you see, for Paul... Being a Christian wasn't about having perfect theology, a system of beliefs. For Paul, it was a relationship with Christ that would transform your thinking and the way you lived. And so he gets to the 12th chapter and gets real practical and he says, Therefore, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then he starts to tell us what do we need to do in order to let our relationship with Christ transform us so that we can find God's calling and God's dream for our lives. So that's what I want us to look at this morning. I believe in this passage that it's easy to see three important things. First of all, Paul would tell us, you need to get honest and look at yourself. Be honest in looking at yourself and who you are. In the third verse, he says, For by the grace given to me, I bid everyone among you 
not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, with each according to measure of faith which God has assigned to him. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Just look at yourself and be honest. Who are you? It wasn't long ago, Marsh and I had gone out to uh, Penn Square Mall. We went to go to the movie theater. We were going to go see the movie, I Can Only Imagine. We did a whole sermon about that on a Sunday morning and music to change the world. I'd wanted to see the movie. It's outstanding. Highly recommend it. But we went out to Penn Square to go see it. And, you know, we were parking under the uh, double-decker type parking garages. And, of course, there's always these big posts that hold up the structure. And there were lots of cars. But we saw an empty space. And so we headed towards it. And we were going to be pulling in beside this truck. Now, I mean, this was a truck. It's a big truck. This is one of those extended cabs, four doors, lots of, lots of truck space, and then a lot of cab space or, or, or truck back space. It's pumped up on its, uh, all the shocks, I mean, where it's this high above the wheel. You know, the wheels are this wide. You need a step stool to get up to the running board so you can take the step up into the cab. I mean, you've seen these trucks. I mean, we're talking big. And it was so shiny. There was no dirt on it. It was polished. It was a beautiful blue, and it was reflecting. It was a gorgeous truck, and we came pulling up beside it and turned in, and when we did, there on that post at Columna, there was a sign that said, Compact Cars Only. And I looked over at that truck, and I thought, only in Oklahoma would we call that a compact car. I thought the drivers who must have been driving in that truck, when they got out of that truck, they saw themselves as a compact car. It's kind of interesting sometimes how we see ourselves. Maybe not as the world sees us. I think there's a reason for that. When you and I judge other people, we judge them by their actions, what we see. We want to be judged by our intentions. I know my intentions. Why did I say what I said? Why did I do what I did? How did I want this to be perceived? I know my intentions, and I want to be judged by my intentions. But people judge me by my actions. What do they see? They don't know what I think. I look at other people. I don't know what they think. I judge them by their actions. They want to be judged by their intentions, like me. I think Paul is trying to say to us, we need to look at our lives and not expect that everyone else is going to judge me by my intentions. But what do they see? Who am I? What do my actions say about myself, about my faith? Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. With the grace that is given to you, look at yourself. Who are you? You may be seen differently by those around you than you see yourself. So secondly, Paul would say, find somewhere that you can be significant. Because everyone, he would say, 
is a part of the body. We have many members, and all the members do, do have not have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. We all have different gifts, and we are a part of one body. So even though you should not think more highly of yourself than you should, the truth is everybody's incredibly important. Everybody's a part of the body. Everybody has gifts and talents. So who are you? And how does God want to use you? It really is about finding somewhere to be significant, where you use your gifts in your stage of life. It doesn't matter whether you're a teenager or you're in your 90s. How does God want to use you at this stage with your gifts? Everybody matters. Not long ago, we lost one of the real saints of our church just a week or so ago, Virginia Johnson. Virginia Johnson had been a member of St. Luke's for 70 years. She was now 103. And she truly was one of those people who so lived her faith. Whenever you were with Virginia, she was always positive, always encouraging. She was a member of the Clyde Harrison Sunday School class. She had one of the best memories of anybody I've ever known. She always sent birthday cards to everyone in the class. She sent birthday cards to the pastors. She would send get well cards. I mean, she was just this amazing lady who was always thinking about other people. She loved her church. She came to worship. She served her church well on up into her 90s. Finally, her body began to struggle some, and so she had to go into assisted living. Finally had to give up driving there in her 90s. No longer could be here. She still watched on TV. Not long ago was her 103rd birthday party, and many of us went out there to be there for that birthday party and to celebrate with her. But you know, I remember a while back when she was just turning 100. I went to go see Virginia and we were talking about living there in this assisted living home. And she said, you know, Bob, I've been trying to figure out what's my purpose here? What's God calling me to do? And she said, I think I finally figured it out. You know, there's a lot of people here who are very unhappy. And I've decided God's purpose for me is that every day I need to make one of them smile. I said, Virginia, that's significant. That matters. In your place where you are, if every day you helped one of those people smile, you're blessing life. You found your calling. Now, I got to tell you, it had an impact on me, and I have found myself on more days than I would like to admit being so busy, doing so many things, and suddenly asking myself the question, Bob, have you made anybody smile today? Have you blessed life today, or have you been able to check a lot of boxes off on the to-do list? Everybody has a gift. Everybody has a talent. Whatever stage of life you're in, have you found somewhere 
that if you disappeared tomorrow, you'd be missed. People would grieve because of the way that you have been blessing life. Find somewhere where you're significant. And third, you become significant when you let your love be genuine. Paul says, Let love be genuine and hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. Let your love be genuine. If you and I want to find God's vision for our lives, if we want to find God's dream, God's calling, then it really is about starting with a foundation of letting your love be genuine. If you're doing it, because you want to climb the ladder and get a promotion, if you're doing it because you want praise, if you're doing it because you want greater honor or you want wealth or power, you're not going to find God's calling. You find God's calling for your life, you put yourself in a position for God's positioning system when you let your love be genuine. And you find that place where you can be significant Because you know who you are and your gifts, I believe God will show you your vision and your dream. I was hearing some discussions all about what's going to be going on in the Summer Olympics not too long from now. Just got through the Winter Olympics. Everybody's talking about the great Summer Olympics. And they're actually talking about the man who may be the greatest long-distance running coach in history. It's a fascinating man. His name is Colm O'Connell. He has no degree in athletics or training or coaching. He has no high-tech equipment, and yet he may be the greatest running coach ever. Colm O'Connell. Back in 1976, he was 27 years old, and he was living in Cork, Ireland. He was a good Catholic, strong in his faith, became a priest, wanted to be an evangelist, and so he signed on to go to Itim, Kenya for three years to teach geography at St. Patrick's Boys' School. Now, he figured by the time he turned 30 years old, if he'd gone and done this for three years, maybe he could be clear what God was wanting him to do with his life. Maybe he would get a vision for what God wanted him to do. So he packed up and went to Itim there in Kenya. It's a small town, 8,000 feet up on the side of a mountain, looking out across this big, beautiful river valley. He got there, and he no more had arrived when the man who had been running the athletic program decided to go back to Ireland. And when he did, they all said, Colm, would you like to run the program? He had no training in athletics. Um, But he said, sure. He loved athletics. So he started looking and thinking, you know, we don't have any fields. We don't have any equipment to play any kind of sport. We don't have any money. What kind of athletic program could we have? Well, we could all run. Running doesn't cost anything. You don't even have to have tennis shoes to run. And so he started a boys running club. Three years later, these boys who had started running started going to all these meets around Kenya, and they started winning. I mean, it was amazing what was happening. 
So much so that a few years later, they were becoming known all over Kenya as the most amazing kids who were running. They were winning all the national meets. So the government turned to him in 1986, after he had been there 10 years, and said, there's a new thing called Junior World Championships. Would you choose nine runners to go? He chose nine runners. They went to the new Junior World Championships, and all nine brought home a medal. Now the world was looking on going, who are these kids from Itim, Kenya? He kept on running. 1998, Peter Runo, he went to the Seoul Games, won a gold medal. He was one of the boys from St. Patrick's. They'd made a commitment. So long ago, they said, you know, if anybody ever wins a world championship, we will plant a tree in your honor here at St. Patrick's. Today, St. Patrick's is in a forest. They have no more room for trees, and so the new statement is, if you win a world championship, we're going to plant a bush. No, the champions started being turned out one after the other. In 1989, he had a whole new dream. Why don't we start boys running clubs all over the country? What would it do for these kids? And a revolutionary idea. Why don't we let women run too? That had never been thought of in Kenya. And so suddenly he had women running and the boys, 120. And he became known as the grandfather of Kenya running. It was incredible. And story after story after story of these people who go and win. The latest being David Rudisha, who has set all kinds of world records, who came out of St. Patrick's Boys School. It's now been 42 years. He'd signed up for three. But he found his calling and got his vision. You know, he's never been to a world championship, never been to the Olympics. You know, he always says, that's, that's the kid's opportunity, their time to shine. He always stays home and watches on TV. That's their time to shine. It changes their lives, changes their families' lives, the sponsorships, the money, changes their world. And people come to him and they interview him and they want to say, what's the secret? What do you know that none of these other running coaches know? And he always laughs and says, well, I'm not trained. Never been to school. We don't have any high-tech equipment. We don't have all that medical equipment for breathing. and We don't have a special food regiment. We don't have a special training regiment. No, no, when the boys come. But we believe they've come here so that we can help transform their minds. We want them to get an education. We want them to grow in their faith. And so we're here to help them to grow and to find their calling. Every person is an individual and unique. And so I get to know every single one of them as individuals. I really do love them. Ah, let your love be genuine. Maybe it's the secret. He loves them individually and helps them hear their calling, find their dream to be that person they are called to be. 
and in the meantime, found his own calling where he needed to be. Went for three, been there for 42. Found his calling. You let your love be genuine. It'll help you find somewhere that you're significant. As you discover your talents and your abilities and the gift that God has given to you in your stage of life, well, you can discover again your calling, your dream. It doesn't matter if you've made a wrong turn or if you got lost. There really is God's positioning system, the gift of God's grace that will help you to find your way so that God can give you great dreams and vision. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.